This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 155 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss Misha Green's 2020 series, Lovecraft Country. Okay, so this is going to serve as take two of the <laughs> intro here. We actually lost like 15 minutes of audio due to a technical glitch. But Yeah, I think a Shoggoth ate it, maybe. Yeah, we're going to recapture the magic and make sure that we, <laughs> we, we uh, hit on all those topics so you don't feel yeah. like you missed anything. So... We watched the first five episodes of Lovecraft Country. It's an ambitious show. I'm really enjoying it. Um, Like right off the bat, I I think my expectations were at an all time high. Maybe maybe even similar to how I'll feel when Dune comes out, or like how I felt when It Chapter Two came out. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's how much um, of the anticipation I was feeling going in because I really enjoyed it and I felt a lot of hype for the show in general. Um, and then it's delivered so far through five episodes. Uh, a lot of the scenes that we were hoping to get in our book episode we talked about last week, a lot of those scenes we get, they're satisfying. And then some of the scenes, some of the added and additional material, some, some changes that were made. I've, I've honestly liked almost everything all the way through so far. This show is so important. I, I look at it as a declaration of black power, honestly, a, a claiming of a genre that has historically excluded black people um this show centers them in stories that you know relegated them to bit roles and si- as side characters and, and and you know magical helpers of the white people in the in these stories traditionally um the show looks amazing it's got this great historical backdrop um that is portrayed beautifully um and and for the most part, I have been over the moon with this with this story. Um, I had a few stumbling blocks along the way, which we can talk about. Um, some things that I had to sort of figure out how to context, how to like how to watch the show and put them in their in the right place in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was expectation, like you said, going in. I think we sort of set ourselves up to expect one thing, and this is a little bit different than that. Um, I also want to say we we read the first half of the book, which included three of the stories. Which actually, um, this the episodes went a little bit further than the book went for what we have read so far. But we don't know how this ends because we haven't finished the book. We'll be finishing that next week. Yeah, I mean, to go back to expectations, I I know for me, I was expecting, and, and like this is this is our fault, I would say, because like we've seen some of the marketing materials going in, and we kind of knew from the story. Um, I think I think it's our fault, but the my expectations going in was it's an hbo drama it's very heavy material i was thinking something in the in the vein of of like sharp objects um mm-hmm. where it's a lot of trauma and dealing with that and grief and and like this show does have that but it's yeah. it it's able to have fun it there's a lot of joy in this there's a lot of love in it there's um you know moments of sadness moments of loss moments of all of that but there's the balance that I wasn't expecting. And and I think once I recalibrated and realized it wasn't going to be one of like this, like very, very dramatic show, while while it is very dramatic, um, it, it, it's not specifically 
I don't know, as overbearing as I was yeah. expecting, especially with the sort of Lovecraft element um, and sort of le- the subtlety that I thought that would be dealt, the Lovecraft elements would be dealt with. So yeah, the that reminds me of If Beale Street Could Talk, which we covered earlier this year, where James Baldwin talked about the importance of showing black love. That was something he wanted to do. Um, and that idea of like this show still being kind of fun and like showing, showing the characters, not just always being, you know, depressed about their situation in life and and being beaten down. Um, there, there is a lot of joy on camera and I think that's deliberate, um, because it's, it's, um, purposefully saying that like a show that centers the black experience in this sort of genre doesn't have to be depressing, you know what I mean? Like, it can also be a lot of fun. Like, we often see white characters get up to, right? Um, so, it, it, and it's both, though, right? Because you also have this insane racism that is just, like, full bore as, like, the real villain of this story. Um, and yet, the joy in spite of that is almost act of defiance. Right. And and the comparisons are going to be made for things like Buffy and X-Files. And I think, I think that that's true because those shows are sort of... There's characters that get up to these insane adventures with um, monsters and all kinds of other stuff. And those elements are there within this story. And, And I do I draw that comparison as well. But I think that there's there's it's sort of a reduction to compare it to to Buffy as much as I like that show growing up like I and I still think it's a great show. Um, I think that there's a lot of depth to the story. And I think there's a lot more going on socially. And I think like like you said, it's it's an important show. And I think that having fun and having love and having um like it's on hbo so there's sex there's you know what Mm -hmm. i mean showing sex of all ages and specifically like you said black love like whether it's familial or or like you know relationship between two people yeah um, sort of romantic love yeah i i I, it's it's on display fully here i i just think that that's really important like you you mentioned the uh emotion of the story while you know you would think like, oh, something like Buffy, it's it's sort of lighter and fun and you can sort of, it's very watchable. This show, this show is that, while at the same time, very heavy topics, very heavy historical aspects at play, um, you know, very clearly drawing parallels to the modern day, the racism that we still see today. Um, and having it set in Jim Crow uh, era is, is uh, you know, it allows us to sort of, or at least viewers to be removed from it and then draw comparisons, which I think as I think that that it's uh, more welcoming in that way. Um, but it's still challenging to to people. And I think that that challenge is something you should lean into because it is it's uncomfortable. There are scenes that are uncomfortable, both visually and also uncomfortable, just like in terms of social society and like everything going on. So, you know, if it does make you uncomfortable, that's sort of the point. And I think that you should definitely engage with that. Absolutely. I mean, and that's maybe the white experience watching the show is that some of us might be made uncomfortable. Um, but I think for black people watching this show, it is it is has to be a revelation, right? Like seeing this has to be amazing. So so when I say uncomfortable, too, I mean, I, I think there are moments where where sort of even black people questioning their own like like how they've been made to feel by white people might feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable and things like that. So yeah, it's that's just true overall. And even just like. Well, seeing the racism on display is going to be uncomfortable for yeah, for everybody. It's, it's <laughs> an uncomfortable think. show, I would say, for for everybody. But yeah, specifically, yeah. like if you if you're feeling sort of white guilt, that's the point, you know, like that that you <laughs> yeah. should feel white guilt because there's like been a lot of atrocities, so it makes sense. So I like your Buffy comparison actually, and um, 
I, I, I think it's apt to say that it is similar to Buffy when Buffy is like doing working really, really well. Buffy at right. its best. Um, and even then, you know, obviously a different goal for each show. But Buffy at its best often did deal with like really heavy real world topics, whether it be like suicide or loss or, you know, a lot of these like coming of age stories um, surrounded surrounding those, those that group of characters. And um, this show engages with Supernatural in a similar way to Buffy in that it is far campier and um, pulpier than I was expecting. And that was something that I had to sort of recalibrate on because I was expecting a lot of the supernatural paranormal stuff to be a little more subtle. Whereas this is like brightly lit, full on CGI, like this is the supernatural. We're throwing in your face. Here's a monster. Look at it. (laughs) It looks wild. Um, And and it's not it's not hidden in any way. And for that reason, it 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 is kind of campy to me in that sense of like excess and um, unapologetically pulpy, just like. This is a monster. Just deal with it. It's it, it's not like dumbed down either. You've seen this. You've seen these adventures and these these um, situations with white characters for a long, long time. And that's not to sort of say that this is copying everything that's come before. It's I think it's entirely its own thing. I think that it's it's strongly character driven. I guess it's like a love letter to a lot of these different genres because it is not it's not just horror. It's sort of like adventure stories and and, um, you know, haunted houses, ghost stories, all all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a reclaiming of all of those different genres at the same time, um, not just sort of Lovecraft, whereas I feel like the book was very specifically saying like all the Lovecraft stuff is being reclaimed. And this is sort yeah. of a reclaiming of a lot of pulp in general. I, yeah, and I agree with that. And I think maybe the maybe we're not giving full credit to the book because there was a very like national treasure episode, like a yeah, story yeah. in there we talked about. So, so maybe it's going to get into more of this as we get into more stories, like more multi-genre stuff. It, it, so I think there was hints that this was the way it was going to be. So circle back on the supernatural though. Like, I think it's also really interesting how the supernatural isn't always a force opposing our main characters often it is on their side. Like when we first meet the Shoggoths, they come in and rescue them from the police who are in the middle of committing a hate crime and murdering them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, often we see that with like the ghosts um, in, in the third episode, I think it is, um, killing the racist like assholes who are invading the house. Like there's a way that the supernatural isn't, um, isn't arrayed against them to in, in a way it kind of welcomes them into the genre, right? Like welcomes black people into the genre of saying like, this is a story where, um, the supernatural is something that we can embrace and we can engage with the same way that white people do and, 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 and multifaceted way. I think with a lot of sci-fi genre, like, like sci-fi horror fantasy, all that kind of, kind of stuff. A lot of social commentary is definitely baked into it. Specifically, I would say sci-fi and horror. Um, mm-hmm. and I think with this, this story is is sort of approaching it in the same way it's like you come for the monsters and then you stay for the social commentary and i think that that's like it's effective to get to get people of all different backgrounds involved in the story i think and and i i think the show does a great job in those emotional moments of like really giving weight to important facets and and peeling back those layers that i think sometimes viewers have like certain bias that they come and watch a show with and then something like this can just like peel back the layers in just the right way to to you know kind of hit every different demographic um with all that being said i do i do think that there are some people who will be turned off by that show because there is sort of 
an extreme amount of gore. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a challenging show for some people um, in multiple ways. But I think, like I've said, I think the social commentary challenge is is the one to embrace. And then it's sort of like if you're into pulpy, more um, adventure driven stories and things like that, you're going to respond well to this. Um, But if you're sort of not a fan of horror or gore, um, I would, I, you know, I would forgive people for being like, it was too, it was too gory for me or it was too this yeah. or that. But, uh, and, and I, the, I think and the gore is a particular kind of gore too, right? Like, uh, it, I liken it to almost like a Halloween horror night style of horror. It is like 13 ghosts or house on a hundred hill. The kind of movies I used to watch like in early two thousands at, at, you know, parties that you throw on on Halloween and it's just over the top. It's, you know, unapologetically Halloween ish. And, and some of that has how this gore feels. Like, it's just like, this is horror with capital H. Um, there's nothing subtle about this. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I don't, I want to give credit where it's due because it's not like it's, it's just for the sake of doing it. Because I think all of these, all of these different monsters or sort of horrors that are going on on screen draw direct parallels to the social things that are going on within the story. It's sort of, yeah. you know, it personified. It, it, you know, create the metaphor is then created and become real. Yeah, often. And in terms of like the the horror style, there's an episode that's literally feels like it's like body horror to the point that it could be could have been made by Cronenberg or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll we'll talk about that when we get to that specific episode. Um, but I wanted to say that I think the sort of meta discussion we're having about like how we are enjoying the show and its relationship to genre and what it is doing differently, I think that is all baked into the show and and it is almost necessary. Um, for many of us to 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 understand what the show is and the particular blend of genre and storytelling that we're witnessing, it's not incidental. Like it's, this is this is like primary to what is being achieved on screen. And um, anytime I I kind of lost that lens, it was some of the times where I'd have to remind myself of like what is going on. Um, so it, I, I talked about a couple of stumbling blocks and I want to outline a few of them here. Um, yeah. and, and that I think was like understanding how I, I needed to frame this show in my mind, helped me get, get around some of this stuff and mm-hmm. understand what, what it was trying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I felt the same way, you know, I, I, going in, like I said, I was expecting one thing and then it's sort of it, like you, it's sort of that campy pulpy nature. And yeah. at first, and then like it, it took me all of like a few minutes to like click over. In our defense, the first episode, although there's this big like uh, sci-fi like battle scene that happens, after that you don't really know what like it doesn't really throw in all the supernatural stuff into the end of the episode. So there's a lot of like just racism and like really heavy serious topics and like introducing characters and um, their their interpersonal relationships and the drama inherent in, in a lot of this stuff and. Um, the first episode kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. And then the second episode is where some of this stuff is at like full bore, you know, we're seeing like big magical ceremonies with portals and lightning and like fire and all this stuff. And it's, it's heavy CGI and, um, you know, kind of silly costumes and, you know, from the parts of the disciples of Adam or whatever they are called in the show. Um, yeah. So like, I don't know, we'll talk about it as we go through each episode, but I had like kind of a journey and I'll, I'll chronicle it as we go. But one thing I do want to talk about in general is that this show, I think, hits a little bit of the problem that some of the anthology stuff can get into when it's being adapted, in that um, these stories are connected to one another, but it felt a little weird to be jumping around as much as we do between episodes. And I I think um, 
I was helped because I had read the book and I knew what was going on, but I was trying to put myself in the mindset of someone who didn't read the book and is watching it. And I think you could be forgiven for being a little bit lost and like, wait, we're, we're just going to abandon that other thing where we're going over and doing yeah. this thing now. And there's like a different character who's now the center. And if you're expecting the sort of HBO prestige dra- drama, it can fuck with you a little bit and yeah. the kind of show this is. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know how many, I don't think HBO has many anthology sort of stories in a way. And and it's deceiving because this, I think the book was even more of an anthology sort of thing than, than this is. This is even more interconnected. And then so when you have those sort of, those sort of gaps within the narrative, you could, you could be, forget, like you said, forgiven for being sort of like jarred and be like, whoa, like we, we've skipped a little section here that it would have been nice to have seen. Um, yeah. But I think... And I think that's that gets back to something I want to say about this show in general. I think that this show being different is the is the reason to embrace it as well. I think like I think that if you're willing to engage with it, you're gonna have a lot of fun with it. And I think that it's going to take you down sort of paths that not a lot of shows are doing right now. And I think you're yeah. it's it's you know in addition to the fact that I think it's just a great show, um, sort of pushing pushing the boundaries of what you can do, mm-hmm. um, and HBO and and just in general. Once I realized the particular blend of uh, pulp with um, with drama and with um, like serious topics with over the top magic and like all the stuff that we're getting in the show, it really started to feel like something unique and like I'd never seen before. Um, even though it's it's treading a lot of these familiar areas in our mm-hmm. in our genre fiction, but it, it really feels special. And in that sense, like I every time I came back to a new episode, I was really excited to see like where are they going to take this unique blend they're creating? Like, where are they going to go next? Um, yeah. And that's what I'm looking forward to as we continue this project is like, what all else create? Like, cause who knows where this is going to go? Like it could do anything at this point. Yeah. And I love that. I love, I, you know, I think a lot of times we, we analyze stories to the point that I feel like a lot of times I, I can kind of see where stories are going. This is a situation where like it can literally go anywhere. I don't yeah, know that they you could, could go through a could. portal and end up in like fucking Middle Earth, and and like that yeah. would be within the realm of shit that could happen in this story. But like a different kind of Middle Earth or something. You know what I mean? But they could be in a full on fantasy story next episode, and it would make sense to me <laughs> how that show is gone. Well, yeah, I love the elements that they've been able to lean into um, with you know this the i mean that first scene is kind of just like the that first scene it serves to say like this show's gonna get fucking crazy so hold on yeah. you know i mean deja thoris comes down to talk to him in the, in the battlefield which we, yeah. you know we covered princess of mars so when i saw the red-skinned alien come down i was like oh it's deja thoris i don't know if you've made that connection or not but <laughs> amazing jackie robinson is there like fucking knocking monsters out and splitting yeah. guys open and it was insane it was it was awesome and it was like I, it was like it was it, I should have maybe put more weight on the fact that like this is telling you what kind of show this is going to be because yeah. it definitely was uh, I do want to say uh, and maybe you know I probably should have said this earlier in the episode but we're two white guys obviously mm-hmm. um, and you know I don't think our voices are the most important to be listening to right now about a show like this specifically um, I, I think we're going to do our best to engage with it and we want to definitely like bring it to the to the top of everybody's minds and sort of like talk about it because we're loving the show so far but i uh listened to a podcast that's specifically about lovecraft country it's called lovecraft country radio and it's produced specifically by hbo so it's sort of an hbo um podcast um ashley c ford is a critic and writer she's one of the hosts as well as shannon houston writer who is a writer on the show itself 
Um, so, so to sort of get their perspective on things for me, when I was listening, I was like, oh my God, I could never have made these connections. I could never have sort of, uh, understood the show that like in the ways that they do. So I want to recommend that people go listen to Lovecraft Country Radio, um, to get that perspective and to really understand it in a way that we are not going to be able to provide. Yeah. Let's put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Um, and, and, you know, we cover adaptations here. We have a wealth of experience doing that, and we are going to bring that particular um, perspective we've we've garnered over 150 episodes and hopefully give us something interesting to say about this. But oh, yes, yeah. I agree. We are not necessarily the voices that uh, are, are most important right now. That being said, let's keep talking. <laughs> tell, me about, <laughs> tell me about the uh, the showrunner. Okay, yeah, sure thing. Uh, there's a couple things I want to tell you about Misha Green before we, we jump into her full bio. But basically, okay. she she said that uh, the thing that drew her to the project is the idea of reclaiming some of these genres like we've, we've kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what the book was attempting to do. But when she pitched the show, she wanted to go big. Like she wanted to go for every genre, which is something that I kind of hinted at. This idea of like... Um, ghosts haunted houses monsters indiana jones goonies like mystery crime thrillers like just take all of those genres that like you said it, like black people historically have been like relegated to side characters or not even been in not even represented in any way and and show not only can they be great not only like you know, not only can these stories be great not only can all the performances be great but it's it can be done in such a tightrope act of bl- genre blending and like um, narrative c- continuity with with all kinds of crazy different stuff going on, and um, I think it's achieved. I think that's a really interesting approach to have taken to this show. She also mentioned the idea of propelling the story beyond what the book does, which is something that we we both are f- like have heard is that the show goes further than the, than the book ha- even has material for. Um, she mentioned this idea of she didn't want people to feel like she was taking that and stretching out to 10 episodes and kind of spinning her wheels. And she wanted to like propel the story forward. And that's why I I feel like in every episode, I don't know if you feel the same, it feels like millions of things happen in in each episode, like so much goes on. Um, And like, it's definitely one of those shows that like, you got to pay attention to what's going on. Because if you miss like a minute, you might have missed like the key to everything. Like it's, uh, (laughs) it's got a lot of uh, complex moving parts for sure. I mean that's cool. It's the way to the way to do this thing, and and it's also a way to make it your own, which I fully you know co-sign. We talked about this in our last episode that like the book was written by a white guy, and I think it does a lot of great things. But um, one of the things I was really excited about with the show was was seeing it you know change hands, uh, you know, and and see what someone else could do with it. Right, like this show. This show deserved to have had black voices sort of lifting it up and, and telling Absolutely. it because it's so inherently about the black experience in America. Uh, Sinner Man is the credit song. Um, did you did you hear it in the credits? It, it's like the, at, at the, the very end. end? Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah. I love it. I, I, great song. Great yeah, song. Great. I, uh, I was really enjoying listening to it. And like, you know, I was like, maybe it'll just be like different every episode. The fact that it's the same every episode, I was like, God, this song is amazing. I put it in, you know, put it in a Spotify playlist, had been listening mm-hmm. to it. And then I did some digging on it. And I wanted to say this just because I found it to be interesting. Cinnamon um, is an African-American traditional spiritual song that has been recorded by a number of performers and has been incorporated in many other media and arts. The lyrics, the lyrics describe a sinner attempting to hide from divine justice on Judgment Day. It was recorded in the 1950s by Les Baxter, the Swan Silvertones, and the Weavers, as well as others, before Nina Simone recorded an extended version in 1965. Wow. Is that that the version that's in the show? 
I believe so. Yeah, I believe okay. that's the one. Just a like, to, like what a perfect fit for this show. I just so good. I wish we it. could use it as our intro. Um, but, I know. You know, you know how it is with yeah. uh, copyright claims and all kinds of nonsense. So we just don't deal with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listen to it. <laughs> Definitely. Good. Yeah. Although since we're talking about soundtrack, I'm going to bring it up now. Um, this show actually has a lot of modern music in it. Um, and I think that that plays into my point I was making about how the show is asking you to situate this in your modern lives as well. It is not right. saying this is a period piece. No, it's like we're going to play Marilyn Manson. We're going to play this rap song. You know what I mean? Like we're going to all these different things like it is saying like, you know, this is a modern story at the same time that it is a historical one in in setting. It, it, it's it's operating on that meta level. And so in that sense, I liked it, even though um, we've talked about how uh, we have kind of a rocky history with, especially you have mentioned, you know, having music in, in stuff, making it feel like a music video or something. But um, here I felt like it was done with that particular purpose in mind of like modernizing a story that is set at a historical period. It's a subjective thing for sure. But also uh, I think that it can, I, I definitely said in that episode as well, it can be done well. And this is an example of, like you said, it's setting it historically within that context and this context. It wasn't during a fight scene that was very clearly like sort of like action. It's it's like in between scenes, maybe leading it, you know, sort of like leading mm -hmm. us into a scene, somebody getting out of a car, stuff like that. I find that to be like a framing device. And then um, the other thing is, is like art is something that's that's touched on a lot in this show and specifically black artists and the way yeah. that like through even though the music industry, the the Hollywood, the publishing companies, everything has been historically very much white owned and white run. There have been black voices that have been able to rise um, through through all of that, through all those those struggles and everything like that. And I think that, you know, playing music in a scene that's that's a black artist is another embracing of sort of art within this story. This is a, you know, this is a show that's about black people. It's mostly run by black people and directed by and a lot of the artists on are, are black people. Stars. Yeah. Um, and then to to also have black culture, black music be such a big part of it. it. It's just it's serving so many purposes. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. OK, so Misha Green is an American television writer and producer. She's best known as the showrunner of Lovecraft Country on HBO and creator and executive producer of the historical drama Underground. Now, I wasn't familiar with Underground, but uh, I've read into it a little bit. I'll tell you about it in a second. Um, I'm, I'm going to check it out, definitely. Um, through her career, Green has previously been a staff writer for Heroes and Sons of Anarchy, as well as a producer oh, wow. for Helix. In 2016, together with fellow Hero alumnus Joe Pekoski, Green created Underground, a, a period drama about the Underground Railroad, which takes place primarily in the antebellum South and bordering free states of the North. The first season premiered on WGN America on March 9th, 2016, and the show received a positive critical response. On April 25th, 2016, the network renewed Underground for a second season, which premiered on March 8th, 2017. Um, so what I what I found out is it's sort of the, a show about the Underground Railroad and all that. But again, um, dealing with sort of genre blending, Misha Green in an interview I was watching was talking about how it's sort of it's sort of a high story. Hmm. while also being about the underground railroad so okay. I, you know i don't i don't have the full context of what that all what all that means but i could assume that it sort of is like set up as like a, a gathering of a group of people who go on a journey to to you know 
save somebody or steal something or whatever, while also being set in like historic antebellum South where it's like, you know, known racism rampant and everything like that. So in 2020, Green wrote a supernatural horror show, Lovecraft Country, which was produced by Get Out director and writer Jordan Peele. Based on the novel of the same name, the series tackles race issues set in the 1950s while also utilizing elements of H.P. Lovecraft. The show received a straight-to-series order from HBO. The series co-stars her underground star, Journey Smollett. Who plays Letty, right? Who plays Letty, yeah. Uh, and is incredible. We, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about all the actors as well. but Yeah, absolutely. Um, Love to see people, we've talked about it on the podcast many times, love to see people sort of like stick together and create a rapport and just um, continue to tell stories that are important together. Journey Smollett is, I think, top build in the show. I think she, she, you know, I think that that's an important thing to talk about as well. Just this idea of like female representation, female uh, equality. Well, and black women uh, in particular. Yeah, black women. Absolutely centered in these stories. Did you have anything else generally before we get into each episode specifically? No, let's do it. We got five episodes okay. to get into, so let's start it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to read a little summary for each part. The first episode is called Sundown. After arriving in Chicago, Korean War veteran Atticus Freeman discovers a letter from his missing father, Montrose, inviting him to discover his family legacy in Artem, Massachusetts. Atticus, his uncle George, who writes a green book style black travel guide, and his friend Letty set off on a road trip to Devon County, Massachusetts. A group of murderous white men chase them out of the first town they stop in, but they escape thanks to the intervention of an unknown white woman who somehow causes the mob's car to flip over. Soon after, they encounter Devon County's racist sheriff, Eustace Hunt, who is eager to enforce the town's sundown law. Just after sunset, the sheriff's deputies force the travelers into the woods with the intent to lynch them, but the entire group is attacked by vicious monsters called Shoggoths. Atticus, George, and Letty fight their way out while the police officers perish. The Shogoths are called away by a whistle. In the morning, the trio stumbles out of the woods to find an enormous mansion where they are welcomed by a mysterious white man, William, who greets them warmly. Okay, so this episode, again, it it, it, it telegraphed at the beginning what kind of show it was going to be, but then it transitioned into this like really serious um drama where a, a bunch of different characters are introduced it's got beautiful cinematography i thought the the scene um of the children playing in the fire hydrant that atticus had oh, opened yeah. up and there was like purple mm-hmm. light lighting the whole thing like looked amazing reminded me a lot of if bill street could talk and um and then it transitions right into the, they're on this road trip and they're experiencing racism and it's really upsetting and then all of a sudden supernatural bam you know shagos coming out of the woods and you know we got we got the sheriff transforming in a very werewolf like or vampire vampiric way into the monster himself which you know obviously metaphorically tying into the monster that he actually is um it, it's a journey this this first episode it's a great introduction into the show but it is uh it's a it's a little bit of a of a of a stark change by the end you're like whoa i wasn't really expecting that Right, right. No, I mean, the, that first scene obviously is there to, to sort of hopefully get you get you ready for the sort of craziness that's going to go on. But yeah. um, I appreciate the show for taking the time to build out the world in that way that you were talking about. The sort of seeing, seeing Chicago uh, in this way and seeing like, you know, they're partying. They're all having a great time. They're, they're not being, there's no white people to sort of like ruin their party they're they're safe in numbers altogether like that there's the like we i want to keep talking about the art because i think you know i just think art speaks to both of us in general so yeah um this idea that like we're seeing letty shoots photography her sister's a singer 
um, you know, Atticus is super into science fiction and, and well, I guess specifically science fiction, but just books in general, his uncle George, um, the, um, uncle George's daughter, I think, I think that's his daughter. Um, she's writing a comic book and making comics. She's, she draws the pictures on the uh, Atlas later, I think. Yeah. That have been her work. I just think it's really cool to, to show like through, through the struggles, like, like, I think focusing, especially during the pandemic, I think it's been clear to me that like focusing on art is pretty difficult with like other things on your mind. How are you yeah, going to do this? Me. How are you? Gonna, wh- where's money coming <laughs> in? Where's this going at? Um, it, and just this idea that like this art, this art is like flourishing and, and like pushing through even even though they're being subjected to all these. Well, and, and it's keeping us all going at the same time. Right. This yeah. is incredibly important. And in many ways, it is it is. I think I heard that I heard this recently, like there is a reason that fascist regimes often come after artists first. It's one of the first places they go because it it is like the thing that gives cultural movements a soul. It really is powerful in that way. And and I think you're you're touching on something that I actually hadn't really thought about much. And and I think you're completely right that there is there's there's artists all over the place in this story. And and I think you're, you're you're touching on the reason why. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I mentioned in a, in a previous episode. I don't know where, but I I uh, took a I took a couple classes on this. But specifically, I had a Chinese cinema class, and this idea of even through fascist regimes or sort of like um, censoring or anything like that, uh, propaganda films being the only thing being made in a country at any time, you have these you have filmmakers, you have artists who are able to find ways to subvert and sort of like like subvert the censors and find ways to like get their art out and get messages out and and um it, it's just this like really it, it reminds me of sort of like even if you pave like a like a huge parking lot eventually like like some sort of plant is going to grow in the cracks you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it finds a way and i think that that's something that i that i would um, equate to like art just like it doesn't matter what happens you're you're going to find it's going to find a way to to continue to to ha- to grow and and flourish eventually so I want to mention something else um, we just talked about, I think, in was it the last episode or, or maybe the one before. Uh, must, I think it must have been the last one. We, I was talking about how James Baldwin has been this revelation for me. And ever since we covered him, I'm like seeing him everywhere now. And, and um, you know, someone I didn't know a lot about before we covered him. And then like he is in, I don't know if you recognize his voice, but he is in this episode. There's a voiceover of James Baldwin talking. And I was like losing it. I'm like, how the f- I yeah. just talked about how he's everywhere. And then he's in this very first episode of Lovecraft Country. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. Yeah, it was I mean, a clip we just, that I had yeah. pulled up on YouTube and watched of this like really powerful speech he gives. Um, I, I actually recommend you do that if you if you want to go find that that particular clip of him speaking. Amazing stuff. It's so wild to me, like how how ignorant we can be and how like like you know this idea that like this person is clearly so important. Um, yeah. and I don't think it's just us. You know what I mean? I'm not just like, yeah, pointing yeah. to blame at us. I think it's like these are figures that should be important to everyone. Um, and well, yeah, it's, James a, it's that idea been... of the whitewashed history of America, right? Like th- yeah. figures that have been omitted from the history books. And, and this this part of America is not talked about enough, right? Like showing the, I was I was talking to my wife about this, like this was in the 50s. OK, there are people in our politics today who are in their 70s who grew up in this time period. This is what they were raised on this right. sort of environment. And that's why racism is so present, I think, still. I mean, it's not only why, because 
uh, you know, there are many reasons, but that is one of the reasons, right? Like this isn't some like 1500s or, you know, 1000 uh, years ago kind of thing where it was ancient, ancient history. No, like there are people alive today who participated in some of this shit. That's why it can be so frustrating when, when people are sort of in denial of it and like this idea like racism's over or like it's all in the past. It's something that's yeah. like ancient history and it's like, it's happening. Not only is it happening like right now in your backyard, but like the people that all the stuff that you see is like so long ago, that's like, that's your grandparent. Like you're like, that, yeah. it's not that those people are still alive. Like, yeah, some it, of them are still leaving this country. Yeah. And so it's just, it's very frustrating. So there were a f- few small tidbits I wanted to point out. Uh, one was that Atticus uh, Turner in the novel had been renamed to Atticus Freeman which I think we can we can assume uh, what is being said by, by giving a character Freeman as a last name. Um, mm-hmm. The character who is uh, Atticus's sort of mysterious Korean girlfriend that he, or whatever they were, uh, he had some sort of relationship with a Korean woman um, from his time in the war. Um, that actor is the same actor who plays the red-skinned Dejah Thoris who comes down out of the the alien spaceship and the opening oh, interesting. sequence. Yeah, like that actor plays that character going forward and is on the I phone with them and all that. that stuff. And it's who he does battle with and I think episode two, all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. So I mean, directly linking the idea of Dejah Thoris, this like princess from another world, right, that John Carter goes to and Princess of Mars right. to being his Dejah Thoris in a way. Yeah, totally. It's going to be really interesting to get more of that because it's it's on its way. I'm sure we're going to get yeah. we're going to get more Feels of that. Feels like and, it. And then and then the werewolf stuff. Um, this this and in a later and a later episode, obviously episode five, it, it, the idea of transformation, the idea of a monster lurking inside. You know, it's different between these two episodes, but here it is the monster within the sheriff being brought out, and um, I don't know, is you know really really cool how they're able to link together all these genres and and use yeah. them here. I mean, definitely. And, and the crazy part is that for as far as the characters sort of safety is concerned, like when we're invested in it, I felt like they were safer fighting against supernatural beings. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, the supernatural beings like actually rescue them from this situation a little bit, too. Right. Yeah. Like the real danger is in these assholes. Oh, also, I just shout out to like the the slowest but coolest car chase scene, like the most like pulse pounding oh, yeah. um, attention, attention filled car chase. But it's it's you know 25 miles an hour because they're no wonder they don't want to speed so i mean it's really unique that episode like in terms of like what the what socially the episode wanted to deal with and like put people who like you and i who haven't been in this situation before um and like put them in this this these scenarios like you know it's never going to be the the same thing as like actually having been in a situation like that but like that was tense man that was like that you know the entire time you're one of the most striking scenes in the book too you know, for sure. And I'm yeah, glad to see it. Definitely. And so sundown is the name of this episode. And we see character, we see monsters come out at night, right? Like the, the, mm-hmm. the Shagas themselves, uh, hate the light. The, uh, the, the cops turn into monsters. Um, the idea of the sundown laws where you, people literally killed black people for being in town after dark. Um, I think that the, the metaphors are there. The connections are obvious yeah. and, uh, the, yeah. the creatures are come out at night. Yeah, I, I was listening to an interview with Misha Green and she mentioned uh, the interview or asked sort of what, um, you know, with with sort of the historical elements of Tulsa being such a big part of 
of Watchmen recently. Like, what else? Like, what what does she want people to take away? And she, you know, she talked about like the history elements. Hopefully, there's a lot of stuff that people Google that ha- that happens in the show to see like is it real? Like, sort of get the historical context. But she mentioned that she didn't even she wasn't familiar with even Sundown Counties. Um, and you know, like I, I think that I had heard of it before, kind of in sort of a historical context, like history class or something like that, maybe. But um, I think made all the more real by this scene, and it, I think it'll be one of those things that sticks with me, just like the atrocities that that people had to come up against, and like as, like we've talked about in basically yesterday, you know, like fifty years ago is not that long ago. Um, you know, what's crazy is I feel like my knowledge of this all comes from what I have seen in movies more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And, you know, maybe read in some some literature, but this wasn't taught in my uh, in my history classes, not in this way, you know, and I think yeah. it's because it's so political nowadays and people, especially in, you know, small town ish central Florida where I grew up, like there'd probably be a fucking shitstorm if it came out that a history teacher was talking about this kind of stuff. Because people's yeah. parents would be upset, you know, and it's so frustrating. Like this should be taught in schools. Everyone should be aware of what's been going on in this country, and it's a shameful the idea that I had to learn about it because I've seen a movie where it happened in or something. You know, exactly. To continue just awareness for stuff like this, I think I think like th- th- this idea of like someone telling someone else a story the, back in the caveman era, you know what I mean? Like this idea of passing along these stories mm-hmm. while also saying like you know avoid the mammoths, th- that kind of thing. Like the like the the things <laughs> yeah. that maybe it was like a it was a story a that was to be learned there. Yeah. There's a lesson to be learned, and I think this idea of like stories continuing to teach us these things, although they aren't real life. They're, they're close enough and they're talking about these things. And I think it's like, it's just yeah. like you say, it, we shouldn't have to learn it from the movies and, and TV shows and every books, all that kind of stuff. But the fact that they're there as a resource, I think is definitely notable. Um, I, and I mean, then the way they deal with the racism is to show it as unvarnished hatred. And yeah. I think that's the, that is the right way to do it because that's what it is at its core. Often like it's dressed up and, and sort of, um, hidden away in certain in certain ways there's you know there's especially white people have strategies of like you know calling it something else or masking what's really going on and this show does not do that this show like shows it for what it is for how hateful it is and um challenges the viewer to engage with it in that way and i think it's really powerful i i can feel like i can remember my history class and to be honest like i don't know that it's it's clear enough who was the correct side. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. sort of set in a historical context where it's not like condemning anyone. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like both sides ism probably going on for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like the, 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 it's just uh, madness, man. The, the, the way that things should be, should this information should be distributed is like, and that's something Misha was talking about in, in the same interview, this idea that like the, the, the history that we know is white history period. Yeah. Like there, like there, there were people in America before Columbus discovered it, you know, like there was history there before then, but like sure. history would have, you know, that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1490, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh man, it's, it's, it's rough stuff, but I think we should move on to episode two if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. So episode two is called Whitey's on the Moon. William explains that the mansion is Artem Lodge, designed by Titus Braithwaite, a slave trader and the founder of an occult secret society of wizards called the Sons of Adam. George realizes that Atticus is a descendant through implied rape by Titus and thus a premier member of the Sons. Because of this powerful heritage, Samuel Braithwaite, the current owner of the lodge and leader of the Sons, plans to use and potentially sacrifice Atticus in an upcoming ritual. 
The white woman who helped the group earlier is revealed to be Samuel's daughter, Christina, who had a whistle that controls the monsters. After telling Atticus that not all white people are bad, she traps the travelers in their respective rooms with magic force fields. They eventually break out and rescue Montrose, who's, who George had earlier deduced was being held captive in a nearby village. Samuel stops them, shooting and killing Letty and seriously wounding George. Atticus agrees to cooperate in the ritual to save their lives, but the magic backfires as a black woman in 19th century dress appears, implied to be Atticus's slave ancestor, turning Samuel and the other sons to stone and burning down the mansion. Atticus escapes only to discover that although Letty has been resurrected, George has succumbed to his wounds. Yeah, which, uh, big change, having George die here, surprised me. Um, yeah, it surprised me. <laughs> sad moment. Um, I, I'm going to be curious to see like what they do with this George character and like how his role is filled going forward because he doesn't die here in the book. So it's, it's different. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of implications. Uh, you know, I, I think it's strongly implied here that George had a relationship with Atticus's mother and that maybe George is his actual father. We don't know. Um, we later learn about Montrose's sexuality um, and being he, he's sort of a closeted gay man. Um, and did that play into things? It feels like there's more to, to, to find out here. And does that, you know, that inform the like really rocky relationship that he and Atticus had growing up? It seems that he beat him. There's a lot going on uh, sort of behind the behind behind the 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 flashy supernatural elements that that are dominating this episode there there is a lot of interest interesting character stuff going on too definitely i mean so there's so much to talk about we're not going to be definitely not going to be able to get to every single detail in every single episode but there's a lot of references and stuff that we we definitely won't be able to touch on each character has to kind of face their own sort of demons in this episode a little bit at one point when they're sort of force field into those rooms and like those scenes are very you know we weren't no, we were we didn't really know what to make of them at first. There's a sex scene, or like the beginnings of a sex scene that that we didn't we, until later in the scene we didn't understand was sort of like a fabrication that was going on to like, you know, in within their mind or within the room, whatever it is, um, and you know, it, it's like Atticus is dealing with trauma from the war and something something's going on with this this woman that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. from uh, Korea, I assume. And then, yeah, George is, is seemingly with a former lover or something like that, Dora, someone who passed away before yeah. he... he... Well, and and we, we learned that that is Atticus's mother. Right. Yeah, so they definitely seem to have some sort of history there. So, yeah, a lot going yeah. on there. I, I think the Adam and Eve stuff is, is really fascinating in the sense... And they've gender-swapped Caleb Braithwaite, uh, mm-hmm. clearly, into Christina Braithwaite. And I, I was curious. I'm like, where is this going to lead this... this this show to go with this character. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see and we already see some things going on later, but, um, the, the sexism of the, you know, the cult of Adam, um, is on full display. And, uh, you know, Adam is seen as pure, whereas Eve is seen as impure and needs to be punished. Um, so it's this, this male dominance is at the heart of this sort of club and to make, Christina, a woman, puts her at a, a into an interesting position within that power structure, right? Well, it's like you're you're creating sympathy for the villain, seemingly, right? So it's yeah, like although bit. she would continue to go on to do other things that we'll get to, for, for this point, we kind of are we kind of think maybe she's helping in some ways, um, while se- seemingly have having ulterior motives. But the you can see that this character is struggling with 
things that that you know institutionalize sort of sexism you know things that have been uh that have been around forever and so you know i think we just sympathize with the character like that a lot more than this this male trying to take over a male dominated society yeah. as we saw in the book it'll be something to track as we re- finish out the book like how how those characters are are going to diverge in each version yeah okay so there's there's a you know you mentioned um James Baldwin in the first episode. I think there's mm-hmm. a very specific speech chosen for this episode as well. Um, Whitey's on the moon, and I, I don't think that's James Baldwin as well. I think it's someone else. No, it's a it's a poem by a, a different person. I forget the name, but I, I did a little research into this too. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's a poem about how the U.S. government basically poured all this money into putting billions billions of dollars into putting a white person on the moon. Yet there was right. all this like starvation and and structural inequality and stuff that is getting yeah. ignored. And it's it, it's extrapolating that out with the wealth that we see on display. I think here, right mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of the episode, I think there's a really interesting in in retrospect sort of moment where all the characters are have forgotten because memory is really important here, and they've forgotten the trauma they've experienced, and they're being taken in by the excess right like you know the clothes the books they're sort of enjoying their lavish lifestyles and um much like uh this is america you know the, the music video like right. it's showing i think the way that like capitalism and excess and wealth can distract from the truth of what's going on right um and how that affects everybody yeah i it has interesting parallels to this episode as well because it's like you know who's suffering in order for in order for whitey to be on the moon you know it's like these the, there's a situation where everyone's supposed to feel pride in in america for having landed on the moon and yet the people who are being just like totally forgotten totally screwed over how are they supposed to get excited about something like that how yeah. how is the black sacrifice equated to landing on the moon like right. why does that matter to them when they can't pay their rent that's sort of what the that's sort of what's going on in in these yeah. this um and that, that's this a huge question that, that that there's a lot of sides to um i particularly am in favor of you know space exploration and these sorts of things but i think metaphorically it's really interesting to look at and well yeah, i agree definitely. that we should be dealing with like structural problems and 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 poverty and stuff like that while still supporting a, a space program that's absolutely yeah. i think you I, can do I, both I, I definitely think you can as well, but if you were in their scenario, yeah. you wouldn't no, feel and, that way. You know? And so, I can which, see the way you would feel as someone in that in that position to right. see this white man go to the moon and knowing that like you right. have a life that you were faced with. And it's not like we can't help others in the society and also go to the moon. That's the point yeah. is that it's like it's ignoring. You should it's be sort of. You should do both. Yeah. Um, but so, so related to this story, um, Samuel's trying to get into Eden, basically, using the sacrifice of Atticus. And so it's like, you know, this idea of being able to get to paradise, get to yeah. Eden, like, well, that's amazing. using but, his, you know, quote unquote, magical Negro, that that trope is on display here. And it's being sort of subverted because, you know, he gets the better of him and they're the ones who die. He isn't the one who is sacrificed, which traditionally right. they are. And I mean, that scene with with the collapse, every like we've talked about the CG, but like I, I think like the CG looks fairly good for the most part in this in this it doesn't look bad it just also is cg like i think you can tell that it is that's that's all i would say you know what i mean and like that's fine like i'm okay with that i mean it's a part of shows nowadays like i I genuinely there wasn't a time where i was like "Ooh, that's bad i i just like i think it's like as as we as we see more and more of it it's like sort of you're just like yeah Yeah. well you got like an invisible barrier that shimmers when you run into it like that's just like very like this is supernatural we're not hiding it 
You know what I mean? It's not like you could have a instead have a force where like the person feels compelled to turn around or something like you could do it in a way that didn't show up. Instead, you're like, nope, we're gonna have a shimmery fucking barrier pop up. You know, it's it's just very like it's kind of campy in that way. Right. I mean, and that's not like they, they're definitely going for it. Like there yeah. there's a lot of CG. There's like there's like I, I want to talk about the scene specifically when it, when everything's it, crumbling do you down feel around like, with the fire and everything, because because I, I, like, I wanted to say like I feel like for some people they might get turned off by that. Um, and I almost was because I think I can be kind of sensitive to that. But it, it, I can see some people looking at it and being like, oh, they jumped the shark in X episode two with this stuff. It's like it's just way over the top. We got portals opening. We got fire. We got magical force fields and it's so much CGI. And it's like I, I, I think there are people who could get turned off by this. Um, I just I think the thing that helps me not is to remember the context of the show. And once I do that, it helps me understand what they're trying to do. And do it. what they're doing well, I should say. They're not just trying to do it. They're doing it. I just have to. It, it, this is a me problem, I guess I'm saying. And, and yeah. I, and I want to open the door to say that there are other people who might have a similar yeah. reaction. I mean, if I it's had. if there's a lot of it and that's the issue, then I would say like, you know, every Hollywood film, everything that's going on right now has plenty of CG. And the other thing, like CG gets a bad rap, but like there's plenty of CG that's that's undetected. You know, there's plenty of CG that goes on that, that people don't even realize is going on, like editing, like touching up people's faces, things like that within scenes. Um, but yeah, like I, if it's the amount, I, I you know, it is. It's. I don't it's think it's just thing, the amount. So. I think it's the style, the style of it, too. You know what I mean? It's not just the amount. Yeah. It would be like saying like, oh, like Buffy, Buffy, I can't get into Buffy because of all the prosthetics or something like that. Like there's too once they go supernatural yeah. with the things, it's too much. For well, somebody. and we've, we, we've already talked about this at Nauseam, so I don't yeah. want to belabor it. But I, I think there are people who come into an HBO series not expecting a Buffy style of supernatural. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think they're, they're, I think it's like expectations and stuff can can fuck with people. Um, and I just want to I don't know. I just want to like make space for that because I think that, mm. that is a reaction some people are having to the show. Yeah. So this scene in particular that I wanted to talk about, the the entire place is crumbling, there's flames everywhere. And then sort of Atticus's ancestor, who, you know, was the one who escaped the fire, we come to find out, um, leading him through like the danger and leading him out and just the collapse and everything like I I don't know, the, the historical context to everything makes it carry a lot more weight for me as well. I think that it's a powerful scene and to see like, um, you know, I think I think like we in the book, I think it's more centered to like the magic is kind of is kind of um, very much like a white thing. And then it's it's really cool. And, and like this, this kind of plays out similarly to how it does in the book. But I, as time goes on, we'll see more and more like sort of magical things that are um, showing like black people having magic within the story as well. And sort of yeah. like the battle between the two and everything. So the third episode is called Holy Ghost. Three weeks after George's funeral, Letty uses an unexpected inheritance from her deceased mother to buy a dilapidated Victorian mansion in an all-white neighborhood on Chicago's north side, filling it with black renters together with her half-sister Ruby. The white neighbors harass them and burn a cross on the lawn. A white supremacist police officer, Captain Lancaster, threatens Letty. Inside the house, supernatural activity flares up. Letty learns that the previous owner was a white supremacist, Hiram Epstein, who, with the help of Lancaster, kidnapped, experimented on, and killed eight black people before burying them under the house. All nine spirits are trapped there. With the help of a medium and the black spirits, Letty banishes Epstein's malevolent ghost. Later, Atticus finds Christina in Chicago. She survived the fire. Atticus has deduced that she was secretly the source of the inheritance and steered Letty to the house. 
Christina explains that the house was built by Horatio Winthrop, a Sons of Adam member banished after stealing pages from the Book of Names in the 1800s, and that Epstein was a follower of Winthrop's. She asks Atticus to help her find the missing pages, which could help decipher the language of Adam. Atticus attempts to shoot her, but she's seemingly invulnerable to harm. So uh, one of the things that I thought was incredible about this episode was the uh, metaphorical way in which the bricks tied to the horns was working for me. Because to, to me, it took on the like the incessant drone of prejudice and the role it plays in the lives of all these people, right? All these black people and how it's like always there. They're trying to shut it out. They're trying to ignore it. And it, and how it also is disrupting everything. Like even for the rest of the neighborhood are having to deal with this noise, how it's just this terrible thing, right? Being perpetrated by these, by these racists. And then, um, the, the, they light a cross. It culminates in them lighting up, you know, a cross on fire and planting it in the, in the yard. And then, Letty in an awesome sequence gets a bat and goes out there and like literally knocks every one of the bricks off. And I I felt like there was a message there about how like you have to combat racism. You can't just ignore it. Like it has to be combated head on. And that's what this show is. This show is a baseball bat to a brick kind of thing. Like that's what it represents to me, like a a direct opposition to this force. Um, And, and, realistically that's what the whole that's what the episode is about as well with like sort of the black spirits like of course if there's a white so to go back to the book episode it was very much about like i i felt like it was more about sort of coming to an understanding and like a situation of like um having to um accept things and like uh, i don't know it it seemed like letty and the ghost in that story where it kind of came to an agreement and had like a mutual respect for one another, even though there's like this racist ghost, like it's just something that black people have to deal with. And that's kind of where I felt like the story was, was left to lie. Whereas in this scenario, it's much more about like, there's a racist white ghost and he's haunting this house and he's haunting Letty and all those things. Yeah. But if he also killed eight people, he's like a Mangalo type too. Like it, yeah. it's bad. <laughs> and oh, he's named experimentation. Epstein, so everything. come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this idea that like, of course these, there's black, eight black spirits who also could haunt this man. And just this idea of like fighting back, like you said, fighting back against the people who are attempting to oppress or anything like that. I felt like this was a huge empowerment episode and journey small in this episode, um as as letty i think was just like gave a powerful performance the ending had i I brought a tear to my eye when she like they're all holding hands together and and sort of like shouting the the whatever chant that there was and and um it was just powerful stuff like this idea of heritage and and um and like belonging i I don't know it it really spoke to me yeah so the the other thing with that burning cross scene that i think i i have to highlight is that the police show up and arrest the black people, right? Like they yeah. immediately arrest them. And that doubles down on the change in how the police operate in this horror story versus how they operate in almost every other horror story. Because usually in a horror story, when you see a cop, you're ha- you're glad. You're like, yes, there's a cop here finally. He's got a gun. He's going to mm-hmm. be able to shoot the monster. They're, they're traditionally the heroes of horror stories, right? Like they're, they're combating the monsters. Um, the police and our society because they tend to be sort of here you know worshipped as heroes by our by many people in our society and here the the police are not that they're the complete opposite they are members of this you know racist order they are actively you know creating the problems 
and they're ignoring. And um, that just is so much more the reality of how the police have operated, especially to the black community in America yeah. and how they are, do not represent a, a um, force of good for them. They, in, in fact, um, it's quite the opposite. And, and the police showing up is, is not to be something to be happy about, but it's something to be afraid of. And that's how it feels watching this show. Every time the police show up, I feel afraid. And um, that is the uh, very deliberate that is trying to show that perspective uh, as opposed to what we usually get. Yeah, I mean, when they put her in the back of that squad car and they're like slamming her into the walls and stuff and she yeah. she's like basically asking, did you get my 27 different sort of complaints uh, against all these white neighbors that are harassing me and stuff? And he's like, did we get any complaints? And they're just like, you know, brushing it under the rug and then of and then course. beating the black people just for being black. You know what I mean? Just yeah. for being in the community. A uh, couple of things. The relationship with her sister, Ruby, starts to like, become a, a larger character in this episode. Right. Um, their relationship, I think, is like one of the emotional cores of the of the story because it's it, there's a, it's very real. You know what I mean? It's flawed. It's complicated. Um, the characters are flawed and and in that way, real. And um, Ruby goes on to have a really interesting episode onto herself. But this is sort of Letty's episode, I feel like, to to step forward and be the the main focus and the relationship between her the sisters is is cool to see um and then i guess we have to really talk about this now she letty died in episode two and so she's like dealing with the after effects of having been like resurrected yeah. by the order of she has Adam. like survivor's guilt about it it feels like yeah because like, george died and didn't come back yeah right she was she was essentially resurrected yeah. which changes the the dynamic we talked about a little bit with the book where you know George would go on to be an important character. Um, but I do think it's just a theory of mine potentially going to set up like um, Hippolyta being the like the leader of the continuing the guide. And because we see we're starting to see her like question what happened and some other information here and there. Um, I think that the, the like I, what I'm trying to say is like I think that that was a cool a cool change. Like as much as I hated to see George go because he was one of the most likable characters Um it was like it was sort of the kicking the ass that Atticus needed to to go after all the stuff that's going on and sort of pursue all of this. And, and in addition to the fact that like Hippolyta is gonna gonna run the the guide now and she's gonna get more involved. I think it it really shifted the characters in an interesting way to have them set up to be more active roles rather than it sort of just being specifically Atticus's story. Yeah, uh, Hippolyta, like you said, uh, has been brought front and center in a way that she isn't in the book yet. Um, and so I think they're setting up a lot of stuff that is probably coming in the book, I assume. Um, so I'm fascinated to see what happens with that character because, yeah, you're right. I, I think she's taking on a lot of um, a lot of these sort of narrative roles um, going forward. And, and, and we really don't see a lot of it yet, but I think we're getting there. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next episode or two, we're about to get like a really Hippolyta uh, focused episode. Also, we see Montrose is really struggling with what he's been through and the guilt over his brother dying. And we see him as a drunk and as a, a man who is just at the end of his rope. And, um, the 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 ongoing antagonism between him and Atticus is is building in this episode a little bit, so I think that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Oh, I wanted to ask you: Do you think that massive boiler in the basement was a reference to The Shining? <laughs> it felt like it a little bit, right? It, cre- yeah, it was creeping. Yeah, maybe it was. It creeps. It creeps. Um, yeah, yeah. Specifically, The Shining novel uh, has this has this giant. It was so over the top, like the size of it just looked like almost silly to me. So it was like I felt like it was directly saying like this is a horror story style boiler (laughs) yeah 
there's so much to love within the story too. The 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 kids playing with the Ouija board and stuff, and like how scary that is that it was like George died or whatever. George yeah. is dead. Um, and just little stuff like the the freaky how freaky is was that head that like came up over her Letty's bed while she was trying to sleep and like pulling the covers off of her. Yeah, and now that was genuinely frightening. So one of the and one of the one of the moments that I think highlights what I was talking about with the style of horror the most too is when she like puts together all the different pictures and there's a bunch of scratches that forms a face that like rises up out of it and like yells right. at her. Like to me, yeah. that's like it's so excessive and like. That's the that style of paranormal like is something that historically I'm not the biggest fan of, but yeah. it works here for all the reasons we've outlined. But um, yeah, yeah, that was a good example of what I'm trying to say when it it feels that excess like it's. It definitely it's, made me think of um of Sorcerer's Stone with Voldemort's head like coming <laughs> like fucking flying through Harry. Ah. Yeah, and that's the kind of story that you know what I mean. Like that kind of magic is is what's on display here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so episode four is a history of violence. Montrose learns that Titus Braithwaite's pages from the Book of Names are stored in a vault in a museum in Boston where Braithwaite donated a wing dedicated to his career as an explorer. Montrose tries to hide this information from Tick as he wants his son to stop pursuing magic, but he eventually relents and goes with Tick and Letty to the museum. They break into the vault after hours and find a desiccated corpse bent over the pages. When Tick tries to take them, the corpse reanimates into an Arawak two-spirit named Yahima. Yahima tells Tick that Braithwaite kidnapped them and locked them in the vault after they translated pages for him. They agree to leave with the Chicago travelers, but the vault begins to flood and the four barely escape. Upon returning to Chicago, Montrose murders Yahima to keep them from revealing more information about the pages. Meanwhile, Sheriff Lancaster and Christina vie over control of the Chicago Sons of Adam Lodge. William seduces Ruby, and Hippolyta and Diana go in search of answers about George's death. Yeah, so this is the uh, National Treasure, Indiana Jones-style adventure story that happens mm-hmm. kind of out of the blue. We did read this story in the book. It is pretty different in the book. Um, different characters are involved somewhat. They, they swap out a couple of of uh, new characters and instead keep our core, right? We have Montrose, Letty, and, and, and Atticus going um, together. And I do think that's a good decision, too, to, like, cut down to the core characters because, mm-hmm. like, these other characters, if they're not going to continue to play a part, well, it would have been cool to get other characters. Like, having these characters be the main focus in a show like this is going to keep people more invested and you're going to be able to add depth to these characters as we continue to, like, explore deeper and see people as they're, like, straining, you know, they're, they're like, in a in a situation that would have them frustrated and, and potentially saying things they normally wouldn't. The show already has a lot of characters, so I think it was a smart move. Yeah. Like, it feels like it's already got a big cast um, of important characters to keep track of. You mentioned that you're really excited to see this one um, in the show. Like, what did it live up to your expectations? Like, what you what did you think of the episode overall? For the most part, this is one of the ones I struggled with the most when it came to the sort of campiness of it because. It, it was very adventure heavy. Like, you know, we had these, um, we had the secret tunnel under the museum and we had it flooding at one point. We had like the Staff of Raw style, like light coming through a beam to show a little button. And I had to like, like, again, I had to sort of recontextualize and remember what the show's doing. Um, and it, it ended up being fine, but, um, you know, also the particular, uh, the, the, the beam that they had, the plank that they have to walk was very reminiscent of, of Indiana Jones. Um, I think the, what, the third one, um, the last crusade or whatever, where they do that famously. And I mean, it, it was, it was very directly evoking that genre, which is cool, but like, 
I have to remember that that's that this show called Lovecraft Country that seems to be a horror show can also be this. And it was a little bit jarring when they really got into it heavily. Um, and then this character of Yahima comes in and I didn't really know what to make of them. Um, they come to life and, and sort of rescue them, take them out of there. <laughs> um, I don't know what, what, what gender they, you know, uh, identify as i don't think it's said we're shown you know with through nudity of hbo that uh this is a sort of trans character i don't know i'm not really sure what's going on um and then anyway this character yaima is then killed by montrose at the end um right. and like i was kind of like whoa what what is going on with all of this like you just killed an already dead character like i didn't know like what weight am i supposed to assign that is this like murder um, or is this like undoing magic or like, what is it? It felt like murder. And, and Montrose is like this character who at the same time is super dark. We then feel a lot of sympathy for, but then like he just murdered this person. So I don't know. This, this was maybe my least favorite episode of mm-hmm. the five, um, for a lot of those kind of reasons I said. Um, but overall, like it was still good. I still enjoyed it. It just, um, I found myself a little more confused than, than uh, loving every minute this time around. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely sh- surprised uh, with the reveal of Yahima. I I kind of agree, like, the idea of... I, I thought leaving the episode and nearing the end, I was like, okay, so there's going to be, you know, implications coming from this. Like, what... How is this character going to affect the story? Like, what information are they going to be able to provide? Um, and clearly, like, that was cut off from us, and we don't know... We're not going to know much more about that, which kind of makes it feel like, what was all that for? And she is a I, com- which, show invention, I should say, as far as we know. Like, this this character hasn't existed so far in the book for us. Right. Um, I mean, let's talk about... I, I do want to talk about some of the some of the better things in the episode. Of course, yeah. I'm I'm drawn to this sort of idea of, like, a of an adventure story. It's fun. It, like you said, it doesn't necessarily match, like, the Lovecraftian elements uh, as much. But I think that it's clear that this show doesn't want to have to be sort of boxed in by nece- just Lovecraftian um, supernatural things. Misha Green was talking in another interview I saw about sort of what they were, you know, the, the the darker stories of museums and the idea of like, you know, in Indiana Jones, we're really excited to see him like go raid a temple. But then at the same time, it's you know, a fun adventure movie. But at the same time, like he's like that's, that's someone's culture. Yeah, that 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 hilarious like this should be in a museum and it's like no it shouldn't be in a museum it should be with the people who you just stole it from. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So like and, and you know that's kind of the, the the all of the stuff that's set up with um in the museum where they're like, you know, he was given gifts and these are all the gifts that he brought back to give to the museum. No, he fucking raided their culture and <laughs> yeah. like you know like like it's just like went and colonized it or whatever mm-hmm. like what the colonialism shit he wanted to do and and um so I, I don't know. I thought that, that was interesting context there. Um, and then clearly something similar was going on with uh, Yahima with the, the idea like they, they could understand the language. So like their their people were all gathered up to in the ship. And oh, the other thing that this is reminiscent of is Goonies, or the Goonies, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's like there's a ship. Things are flooding. Um, you know, there's hijinks that ensues. I think it's like Goonies and, and Indiana Jones. And I think that th- all of that goes to show sort of what what the title is trying to get at, like a history of violence and how um, it's, it, you know, I think that we're getting sort of the violence between um, Montrose and, or at least the hints at Montrose and, and um, 
and uh, Atticus's sort of history of like being like like he was beaten and this this idea like I, I don't know there's just a lot of violence like baked into the story with Atticus and like he you know he killed that the the memory of that woman um, in episode two where he's like seeing this sort of false image of her and he like chokes her out and kills her seemingly that's fairly violent I don't know what's going on with that and then um, Montrose it, it's been implied that he's beat he beat Atticus. Um, the history of violence from um, the Braithwaites. And so like, I think it's all well, coming and, together as like, and this- uh, Montrose himself was beaten as a child. Him and George talked about their father. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're talking also about the institutional violence that like black people have suffered and how it affects their lives and is inescapable in that way too. Um, it's, it's everywhere. Violence is everywhere in, in our culture and, and um, it passes along generationally, which, Oh, that reminds me of something I wanted to say earlier. Um, and I forgot. Um, we see Christina Braithwaite um, help birth a monster in, I think, episode two, I want to say. Um, I think so. And I was like, what is the point of this? And then I was thinking about how maybe it could be the role of like white women and the perpetuating of racist monsters um, to the next generation. And, and maybe that's like metaphorically oh, what's yeah? going on there. I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yeah, she's like, like, yeah, helping rear a child there. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this episode was a lot of the stuff that's setting up next episode, <laughs> and that's with Rose and her going to this department store and finding out that she didn't get the job and she's been applying, and there's this other black woman who works there now, and um, and then the relationship, uh, she meets William in the bar, and he is sort of charming, and the way she deals with him, and then they end up going home together, um, which is setting up uh, episode five, which I, I, I'm really excited to talk about if, if you are, if you're ready. Yeah, yeah, let's get into it. So episode five is Strange Case. After which, by the way, a really... reference, I believe, to the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is the original yeah. name of that story, which I didn't know that. I, I saw this somewhere else. Um, but the, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a story about transformation and potions right. and stuff, I think uh, mm-hmm. very, uh, very purposely chosen. Definitely. I, I mean, uh, Misha Green even said said as much that, that it, okay. was cl- like, it was like basically required reading slash like, go, you know, re- watching to, to sort of like put it in a context of the kind of transformation elements that they wanted within the story. Um, okay, so Strange Case, episode five. After sleeping with William, Ruby wakes up as a white woman and William reveals to her his metamorphosis potion. Montrose tells Atticus that he has taken care of Yahima and destroyed the pages, causing his son to nearly beat him to death. Letty tells Atticus that she is afraid of his anger, but the two later reconcile and have sex. Montrose goes to Sammy's apartment and has sex with him. As Tick works on deciphering the language of Adam from Letty's photos, Letty warns him that the use of magic is inherently evil and will corrupt him. Ruby decides to keep using the potion for its privilege and under the name Hillary gets a job as an associate manager at the department store. William tells her that she must perform a favor for Christina by planting a runic stone in Captain Lancaster's office. While doing so, she discovers an imprisoned man who has been tortured and learns that the sheriff has a partially black body. Later, Ruby witnesses her white boss, Paul, humiliate and sexually assault Tamara. After Christina tells Ruby to embrace power, Ruby rapes Paul with a stiletto heel. Ruby confronts William and asks what he and Christina do in the basement, and William metamorphoses into Christina. As Atticus works on the language, he translates something that causes him to call his former lover Jia in South Korea. This episode was my favorite of all five. Absolutely loved it. And in many ways feels like the episode we are least equipped to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it, 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 this 
it was incredible and it was something I've never seen before. Um, the idea of a story centering black people written by black people, you know what I mean? Like talking about the way their skin is perceived, engaging with a supernatural story. Like we've seen this version of the story where like people can gender swap and stuff or, you know, swap places with somebody else. But to have it be a black woman transform into a white woman and all the things that, that, that come from that. Uh, it's just, it, this is like must watch television to me. It is incredible. And then the, the underlying theme of like embracing and being comfortable in your own skin. And we see that on display, you know, not just through Rose and her journey, but through Montrose and him accepting his, it, it basically coming out of the closet as a gay man and going to this club and and the beautiful scene where he's lifted up by the crowd after he finally kisses um, his, I guess, boyfriend in this moment or his lover and seems to, for the first time, embrace that part of him and just the look on his face, like amazing acting. Um, I found that to be an incredibly moving scene. And, and to me, how that all tied in with this idea of being comfortable in your own skin um, and then it's all in this amazing, like, body horror, like you referenced before, Cronenberg, like, a werewolf story, like, style of transformation, and just, um, now this was visceral, right? Like, the, the way it peels off of her face every time, and it, it was disgusting and just so affecting, and man, I just love this episode, so good, and I, I think I've seen elsewhere people saying that this is, like, this is a love letter to black women, and what they go through, and, um, I've never felt like closer to understanding that experience, I think, than, than this episode was able to do, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the perspective we could never have gotten, you know, we, we, it's, it's, it really was, was affecting to me as well. The, um, Ruby as a character, like I, I felt sorry for her struggle. Um, I realized, I think I've been saying Rose, um, and that is just a big fuck up on my part. <laughs> I think it's our name with a red thing and it's Ruby. It's not Rose. So sorry about that. I, th- I don't know how many times I said Rose, but I meant Ruby. That's all right. So uh, yeah, like I already liked Ruby as a character. Um, I felt like I, f- I under didn't understand her struggle, but like I could empathize with it. Um, you know, the fact that like another black woman was hired and, and this idea that like black people are having to compete for spots, you know what I mean? That, that there's not enough yeah, room for it's two. It's like there's only one spot clearly in this company yeah. for, for, it's so, for black people. And, and then this idea of, um, you know, having that privilege, having that privilege at her fingertips and having the ability to, to like feel what it's like. And um, just seeing like her come to grips with it eventually, like nearing the end of the episode, just like that, that it's not, you know, that it's just that you even white women can't even relate like like you know women are discriminated against as a whole and black people are discriminated against as a whole but to be a black woman is like a unique experience unto itself and um yeah it's all about the ways that your marginalizations like converge like a lot of people have different marginalizations but i i think this shows you how the way they all converge can really create an experience that you that is particularly unique to that person um, and, and, and the way that they are, that society looks at them, right? Right. Is, is very unique to that particular uh, combination of marginalization. Well, and, and that's why it's great that this show is embracing it to, to the extent that it is because it's it's great to see her take agency as a black woman at the end of the yeah. episode. You know what well, I mean? Absolutely, like that's yeah. the, the, and then 
we were talking about like sort of metamorphosis and, and sort of dealing with um, sexuality. We're dealing with race, sexuality, and gender here. Um, we have we have um, Christina, who we didn't know this time was was also William. Yeah, I, um, I suspected uh, there there was a moment where she walked into something and then William immediately walked out earlier on. And I think my wife and I right. both turned to each other and were like, are mm-hmm. they the same person? Um, and, and it's revealed to be the case here. I remember that being weird, too. I remember yeah. being like, oh, what the fuck? Was that like a handoff? Did they hand something off? Um, yeah, that that. Uh, so like, you know, she's she is clearly realizing like what privilege as a man allows for and what she's able to do as a man. Um, and using the metamorphosis as well so this this episode overall just like tackling all of those complex issues and juggling it in such a fashion like i thought that that was like you said it's got to be my favorite episode so far and and a lot of things built to this as well i think without episode three and four we don't get episode five as and it's not as satisfying in the way that it all played out um i i just like i'm like holy shit like where's the show going next for 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 from here because the and like uh, I think that the uh, the body horror elements of this like might be a little much for some people, but like <laughs> you know, gross. you and I are you and I are like have been saying on this podcast for years now that like we're fans of horror, we're fans of this kind of stuff, um, and like if you are a fan of that stuff, you're you're this um, this episode's gonna be amazing to you. If you're not, I think you're still gonna get out a, a lot of the episode, and you know those t- those parts might be a little tough for you or something. Yeah, I mean it's gross. There's no, there's no getting right, you know, around that. Um, but you know, I think the 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 magic on display that is able to put a black woman in a white woman's body, like it just creates a scenario that is like a thought experiment. It's just so interesting, right? And one of the things we see early on is she's walking and um, she's like having stress, and then this black um, teen it tries to help her. And then the police show up and immediately start like attacking him and they're getting ready to arrest him um, because they think that he was the one like, you know, attacking her. And she has to say, no, 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 he wasn't. And um, I, I just felt like that was such a, a specific thing to have happened because it's something that happens has happened all the time. Um, and it's particularly white women being threatened by black men. Um, it has a, just a huge history in this country as, as being a source of, for just some of the most horrific uh, hate crimes. And, you know, I was thinking of Emmett Till and people like that who've, who've were killed for scenarios much like this and, and just how horrific that is. And, you know, and the, the other thing that about it is to, sh- is that, that just goes to show is like how easy it was for her to just say like her, for her to step in and do the right thing and say like, no, nothing happened. Don't worry about it. You right. know what I mean? Like, like I, when she was in that white skin and just that idea of like, like if there had been allies, some of this stuff wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there wasn't. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and yeah, how it fell on her in that moment to speak up and how so many people don't. Uh, but also this shows the sort of um, the intoxicating appeal of privilege, right? Because when she has it, she enjoys it and she likes how she's treated and um, I don't know, like, I, I think there's something really profound there, too, about like how you can understand the appeal of the privilege, yet you still need to combat against it at yeah. the same time. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's darkness, too, right? Like the, the, the assault that she, you know, has on this manager who himself is an asshole and deserves it, right? Like we saw the way right. he was behaving against uh, uh, Tamara and... 
you know, just deserves, you know, what what have you, but also she is raping a man with a with a heel, with a stiletto heel, and I don't know, it, as much as I wanted to cheer for the moment, it was also, like, really dark, you know, and it's, it's I think there is a, the allure of this magic, I think it's gonna be, I think that's a continuing through line, is, like, is the power able to be used for good, or is it inherently bad? And I think, I don't know what the answer that the show wants us to to feel yet because we see the dark places it's been taking everyone. And I think that's what Montrose, like his side, his perspective is this magic is bad. And I think that's why he kills that character. Uh, Yahima, I think it's like, he really doesn't want Atticus to get more involved with this magic because he sees it as purely evil. Um, and we see where it leads uh, Ruby here um, to, you know, dark places. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I, I agree with that. I think that, even though that's I was cheering the- for it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it deserved. It was deserved. So yeah. it's just like, act like a piece of shit. Get treated like a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, like it, that's, just that's vengeance point. for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I am excited to see where the show goes from here. Absolutely. Uh, I've been enjoying both the book and the show up to this point. We're going to switch back to the book after the, you know, into next week. We're going to, we're going to be putting out an episode on the book. But yeah, like this this show, like I can't wait to revisit it. It's fun because it's like actively coming out. There's a few more episodes to come out. I know most people that are watching it week to week are ahead of us right now. Yeah. But um, what like like we've said, like what a show to come out right now. Like yeah. and, and and like you know most people are still like trapped in their homes and stuff. And it's just like to have a show that's both fun and and also important. You know what I mean? Fun and also challenging. Um, it's and like especially if you're a genre fan like this is it's it's just really i don't know hitting me in all the right places right now yeah it's, it's something else and uh yeah we hope you do join us for the book episode next week especially if you're someone who's read the book i think that you know particularly yeah i think you'll find it interesting and then we will be back to the show uh two weeks from now so stay tuned for that if you enjoyed this episode um please let us know in the form of a rating and review or a thumbs up or a like or a subscribe or whatever you can do whatever metrics uh, you can engage with on these sites because that helps our podcast kind of rise in the rankings, get shown to more people and get the word out. Yeah. And make sure to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And on Facebook, we have a Council of Inklings where we post polls for future episodes. We post um, news, any sort of like adaptation stuff that we see that we find interesting. Uh, we try to keep everybody up to date on there and, and it's a good place to engage with us. And if you'd really like to show us your support monetarily, we have a way to do that. We have a Patreon. We have a bunch of bonus episodes on there, exclusive content you can only find on Patreon. Um, We just put out an episode where we talk about The Lord of the Rings through the guise of a critical essay that was written by Michael Moorcock um, that I thought was really fascinating to engage with because we have been mostly positive in the way that we've talked about Lord of the Rings uh, throughout the history of this podcast because we covered it over 12 episodes. Um, But this was a chance for us to engage with some of the criticism of Lord of the Rings, and uh, I thought it was really fascinating. So if that sounds interesting to you, definitely check that out for as little as two bucks. You can listen to that and many other episodes. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. I actually really liked that episode. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. And before we go, I just want to once again, make sure you vote. Make sure to uh, vote early if you can, vote by mail if you can, whatever it is. Uh, it's just so important right now that everyone, don't forget, I don't know how you could, because I'm sure you're hearing it from everywhere, um, but every year, if come to find out there are people who miss the date. It's November 3rd, it's the election day. But check your area. You might be able to vote now. If you can, I encourage you to do it. Uh, We got to defeat Donald Trump. So let's do it. Let's do it together. Vote for Joe Biden. Please vote, everyone. And until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.